Well, we've come to the end of another series of sermons. A series of sermons that I have entitled, Regarding Faithfulness. And I have shared with you that I really believe that the letter of Paul to the church at Galatia was not a letter about salvation. He never uses the word salvation in the letter. It's not a matter of whether or not you're saved by grace or works. Even in the Old Testament, they knew, they understood that they had been chosen by grace. And that the works were a way of identifying themselves. And what Paul is saying is is that that no, there are not those old works to, to identify you with the old covenant. There is a new way of identifying, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so as I was thinking about this sermon series coming to a conclusion, I was trying to think, what is it that is the essential message for you and I to leave on this last Sunday with Galatians? And uh, our text today is verses 11 to the end of the book, 18, verse 18 of Galatians chapter 6. And the question that I think we should be asking ourselves is how should we be living based on what we profess to believe? See, that was the problem that rose If you'll remember, those of you especially on Wednesday night with Acts, the problem that arose in Galatia had to do with the fact that there were believers, Jewish believers, we don't know if they were Christian or not, but there were Jewish believers who were coming back and saying, if you're going to be a Christian, you at least have to fulfill all of the Old Testament. You need to be circumcised. And so they were allowing that to separate them. In fact, in Acts we read that Peter, who had been eating and fellowshipping with the Gentile Christians, when those men came back from Jerusalem, he even quit eating with them. The unity had been fractured. They weren't living according to what they believed. And so... I was thinking about that and I thought, what is it in our lives that identifies us, that marks us out as Christians? Now last Sunday as I closed, I shared with you the idea that maybe this verse preceding what we're reading today, verse 10, easily could be a purpose statement. Paul writes to those Christians, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Now he's not talking about everyone in the church because he goes on to say, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, one of the things that should mark us out as Christians is our behavior in terms of how good we are to others. Isn't that what Jesus said Himself? John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, By this, all people will know that you're My disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Now here's my question. If people knew everything about you, which believe me, a lot of them probably do, especially in small town USA. If everybody knew everything about you, would they see people who have love for one another? Would that be an identifying mark? Now, we're very familiar with identifying marks. Things that don't need a word to give a message. Aren't we? Tell me which one of these you don't readily recognize. You don't need words, do you? Every single one of them. Especially the golden arches. Each one of these logos of these companies gives a message. And you know what? Some of the messages of these logos has been tainted due to different things at one time or another. They are marks. They are identifying marks about corporations. Now, there are things that you and I have that also identify us. I was looking at some a piece of paper in a book that I mailed out to my son Eric. And as soon as I opened it up, I said, that's my dad's handwriting. I knew my dad's signature and my mom's. I could duplicate it. In fact, when mom got ill, we had taken her to the grocery store. You probably remember this. And she was in a wheelchair. And uh, she said to the lady, is it okay if my son signs my name? on that. And I said, Mom, if I signed your name, you wouldn't know if it was me or you later anyway. I said, I know how to sign your name. I've known how to do it since sixth grade. There are a whole lot of papers that went back to school with my mom's signature on it, most of them having to do with disciplinary issues that my mom never signed, saw, but she signed. Signatures. Even the way we do our initials. I have a little way of doing my C-A-L and slooping the J underneath it for junior that there are people that have said, oh, that's Chauncey's initials. What about tattoos? They're used a lot to identify people when they die. Or clothing. What if I just said in regard to clothing, the man in black? Johnny Cash. In fact, Johnny Cash even wrote a song called The Man in Black because of his black clothing that he wore. And he explained in that song why he wore it. Grieving for the people who are without, who are homeless, who are hurting. And he said, I will never wear a white suit until these situations are taken care of. Identifying marks. Now, in our text today, we're going to hear about Paul talking about what an authenticating mark was in his life. And that's kind of where I want to focus today. On things that identify, that that authenticate the message. Paul talked about his own 
marks that He bore on His body. He said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Throughout the history of religion, there have been those who through the years have said or showed what they believed were to be the stigmata. That's the Greek word for mark. And they would come in and they'd have marks on their hands. And they supposedly said it was uh, not to their knowledge as to how they got there. But an attempt to bear the marks. Now for Paul, those marks included all of the marks of being beaten, scourged, shipwrecked. Marks that he said identified him as an authentic minister. Not one like we're going to see about in these first few verses as we go to the text. And so let's do just that. Let's read our text for today. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. I'm going to stop already. Many believe that Paul wrote with the large letters because of the eye ailment that he had. And in Galatians already, we've read about how he said, you love me so much that you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Well, those of you that have been here during this sermon series have now read the letter of Paul to the Christians at Galatia. But I want you to notice how Paul begins this conclusion of his letter. He begins by saying, I have written to you in large letters with my own hand. What's he doing? I think what Paul is doing here is he's establishing once again the authority that is behind or the authority of this letter. Paul was an apostle. Paul was writing Scripture. In fact, if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, there's a really interesting phrase there. Verse 17. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Sound familiar? That's what he just wrote in Galatians. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. The way I write. Now what's he doing? He's wanting us to know that it's him. Not somebody else. Not an imposter. And he wants us to know that for a very important reason. He starts out the book in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, I'm an apostle not from men, nor by a man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. You see, the source of His authority, the source of His uh, authenticity, is the fact that God chose Him. Remember, I shared with you his understanding of what happened on the road to Damascus. He doesn't call that a conversion. He knew the God of Israel all of his life. He probably, I don't have any proof for this, but I can tell you that if he was a rabbi under Gamaliel, which he said he was, he had... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all memorized. And most of the Psalms. And when he's quoting Scripture in his writing, he's not doing like I am in my office. I go up to a bar, type a couple words, and it takes me to five verses that I might be thinking about, and I pick the one I'm thinking about. I don't have, he didn't have a concordance. He has those verses coming out of his memory. God's Word memorized. And so he doesn't call what happened on the road to Damascus conversion. He calls it his commissioning. His commissioning by God to be the apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And because of that, he was recognized as an apostle. I could take you to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, and you ought to go read it sometime. Because Peter is writing, and he's writing about how there's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And he specifically says, our brother Paul has written about this, and his writing is hard to understand, and a lot of people have distorted it just like they do other Scripture. What's Peter saying? He's saying Paul's writings are Scripture just the way that other things are Scripture. Paul's an apostle. He he wants him to know, I'm the one, I'm the one who opposed Peter, one of the three foundational pillars, Peter, James, and John. I'm the one who, who went face to face with Peter when he was wrong. Chapter 2, verse 11. An interpersonal reason for his authority. He says in chapter 4, I'm the one, if you'll remember, that you care deeply about. And that I care deeply about you. I, Paul, I'm writing to you. Because what's going on is not right and it needs to be taken care of. And what was going on? 
the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians were allowing almost anything to separate them. And they were fighting with one another. And let me tell you this. When the church starts to fight within its walls, it soon has its walls collapse. And that's not anything that isn't all the way across our country. I can tell you about a church in Louisville, Kentucky that was averaging almost 300 in attendance that within five years closed its doors. And what happened was that a board meeting when a couple of the elders started going back and forth with one another over an issue, one of the guys said, hey guys, settle down, we need to stop and pray. And one of the guys fighting said, what's it come to that? That's where it should have begun. The meeting should have been begun with prayer. I can tell you about a church in Illinois where the elder who sat on that side of the communion table and the elder on this side of the communion table didn't talk to each other for 12 years. And the church closed its doors. Paul was concerned about the unity of the believers. And I have a feeling if you went back and examined my messages over the last three years, you've probably heard me say more about the importance of that than any other single issue. We have to get along. We have to love one another. We have to support one another. We have to quit criticizing each other. But then, not only does he want us to know how essential it is that we understand the authority behind this letter, he wants us also to understand the focus that we should have. He said he wouldn't glory in anything other than the Christ or the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not common in the New Testament to use all three of those words together. Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Nobody who would have read Paul's letters would have thought Jesus whose last name is Christ. No. They'd have seen this as Lord Jesus. Kurios Christos. Just like people would say Kurios Caesar. Lord Caesar. Jesus was now the king of their lives. That's why they got in so much trouble. Because they wouldn't say, Kurios Caesar. They wouldn't say, Lord Caesar. They wouldn't acknowledge Caesar as the king. Jesus was their Lord. Jesus was their king. And Jesus was their Christos, their anointed one, their Messiah, their Savior. And Paul wanted us to know that the cross has to be front and center. I I love it when I'm in in a particular location where that's where the cross was. At Martinton, uh, 
you might remember, Barbara, that there was a white-lit cross over top the baptistry, but right behind where the pulpit was. At our church camp, there's a big cross right on the back wall of the auditorium. Because one of the things that I would often say with that as a reference was we need to be living our lives not how far we can get away and how close we can get to the edge of what it means to be saved or lost. We need to be living our lives trying to see how close we can get to the cross. Jesus, I mean Paul understood the cross was a display of the divine character of Jesus Christ. In fact, he would write to the Christians at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that it was in the cross that he could see God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not just providing a way for you and I to be saved. Not too long ago, I had somebody ask me that question. What do I need to do to be saved? And I said, the first thing you need to do is you need to understand that the question is not what do I need to be, do to be saved. The real question is, is what do you need to do to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself told us. We are told in Acts 2.38, We've got to repent. We have to have a change of mind regarding our former life. We have to confess Jesus publicly before people. We need to submit in baptism by immersion to accept the burial, the death, the resurrection of Jesus into our own lives. But then we can't just come out of that and stop. We've got to be a part of the process of sanctification, of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, of submitting our lives daily to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, of trying to figure out what we can do to make us look more Christ-like. Paul understood that the cross was a manifestation of Jesus' love. Jesus didn't stay on the cross because He was not capable of getting off. Believe me, if Jesus would have said, oh, you don't think I can get off this cross? Watch this. He could have gotten off that cross and walked away. No. Jesus stayed on that cross because He loved us. And He wanted to die so that we wouldn't have to face that death. I know it's not Paul, it's John, but John records the words of Jesus in chapter 15, who says, when Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. Paul also understood, and I shared this on Friday, Paul also understood that the only way to remove the sting of death is through the cross. I remember years ago when my grandmother died. And I watched members of the family who were just grief-stricken. And I said to my dad, I mean, we're crying. Mom's crying. But 
We're not acting like that. And my dad, in his wisdom, took me to God's Word. He took me to Paul's writing where Paul said, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. See, early in the morning when I got the call saying my mom had passed, and Jesse said to me, Are you all right? I said, I'm better. Because now I know my mom is not suffering. There is hope. And I know that I'll see her again. You see, you and I, we have no reason. We have no hope without the cross of Jesus Christ. Again, going back to Paul in 1 Corinthians, this time chapter 15. Paul identifies what is essential. These are his words. He says what is of first importance. And do you know what he says is of first importance? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. What Scripture? The Old Testament. That's all they had when he wrote that. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. And that there were multiple witnesses to this victory over death. That's where we find our hope. And that's where our focus needs to be. What is there about Jesus' death on the cross that should be an identifying mark in my life as a Christian? The third and final thing that I want to point to is this whole issue of what counts. What is it that really counts? And there in verse 15, Paul says what counts is being a new creation. A new creature. A new person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a couple verses ahead of where Paul says that at the cross God was redeeming, reconciling the world to Himself. Just two verses earlier in verse 17, Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Isn't that what we read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28? I don't know how you understand those verses, but I'll tell you how I understand them. I understand them verbatim for what they say. Galatians chapter 3, 27 and 28, Paul writes this. I'm going to go back to verse 25. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. I like the way that in his writing, he reversed it so that we would be reminded that Christ is in his last name. In the Messiah, in the anointed one Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, what's that mean? It means there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. 
For you're all one in Christ. All of those categories, all of those old categories that have caused us to think of one another differently, they're no longer important once we're in Christ. And some of what is not important that's being emphasized here are some of those rituals that they did to identify themselves. Circumcision in this letter. Jesus was a good teacher. You understand that, don't you? I mean, there's people all over the world that won't accept Him as their Messiah and Savior who will say He was a good teacher. You know why I think He was a good teacher? He gave homework. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus gave homework? Go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, and you'll hear Jesus say to those people, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And He's quoting a verse that we're going to come to in a few weeks. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And just a couple of chapters later, when He is having a debate with them over the fact that the disciples ate some grain on the Sabbath day, He's going to say again, chapter 12, verse 7, if you know what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, if you'd have done your homework that I gave you two chapters ago, you would have understand and you would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't have condemned the disciples for eating grain. For violating one of the Sabbath rules. Because consistently throughout the Old Testament, what really mattered was not those who were going through the motions, going through the rituals. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who believe that one day when they face Jesus, Jesus is going to say, come on in. But you go back and read Matthew. He's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Who are you? And they're going to say, why, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. And he's going to say, you might have done that stuff, but I don't know you. Because what matters, what matters is the internal. What's in the heart. Whether or not you are a new creation. Somebody asked me one day, do you think baptism really saves people? And you know what I said to him? No. No. Because I've known people who went into the baptistry, dry sinners, that came up out of the baptistry, wet sinners. There was no change in their life. They had no desire to change. They were going through the motions as a matter of show. What matters is whether or not we are truly making a change in our life. Whether we are truly burying the old self, letting it die, so that we can rise as a new baby in Christ who needs milk and walk and walk in the way that we're supposed to walk. 
The external is no way, where, way near as important as the internal. Now, let me go back. If you were coming to our Wednesday night Bible studies in the book of Acts, one of the things you would have heard me also say was, however, every single conversion in the book of Acts, they believed and they were baptized. Even if it was late at night, even in the case of Paul, if he hadn't had anything to eat for three days, he didn't worry about eating until he was baptized. The fifth Philippian jailer and his family, late that night, they washed their wounds and they got baptized. And then they ate. Now, I believe baptism is essential. It's very important. It's a part of the process of salvation. Again, Peter says that those in the ark of Noah were saved through water just as baptism now saves you. Baptism is important. But baptism is not effective if there is not a change of the heart of the repentant person. So where does this all lead us? What's that mean? I think that it means that you and I need to be understood and seen as people who are walking by the rule. What rule? Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray.